This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You see it to believe it. You see it in order to be able to use it in your life. So this idea of being a role model, you know, they are watching, they're absorbing all of this. So, you know, paying attention to what you are doing and how you respect people and how you make people feel special, how you honor people, kids are going to take that in. So I can't stress it more that in order to teach respect, you have to show it to them first. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint, and that is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. At Parent Footprint, we believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is nanny advice, playtime, and childcare in the pandemic age with our guest, Florence Ann Romano, also known as the Windy City Nanny. Florence Ann is a dedicated philanthropist and former nanny who has always had a special place in her heart for children. She worked for over 15 years as a nanny, beginning as a mommy's helper at the age of 11. She shares her experiences in her book, Nanny and Me, which is beautifully illustrated for children making the transition from being cared for solely by their parents to having a nanny in their home. And we have a lot to talk about today. So with that, Florence Ann, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for such a lovely intro. I'm thrilled to be with you. So the Windy City sort of gives it away. So now we all know where you are, right? <laughs> and actually, a you know, even though Windy City is not how we got this nickname for the actual weather, but today it is very appropriate because it's quite windy and rainy here. <laughs> and, you know, I recently did learn how the... Let's just start there because I don't know if this, if I was one of the only people not to know that because I've been almost blown away in your in your beautiful city at a few times. So I just always assume that's the way. And then I learned recently there is another ter- another meaning. Let Tell everyone what the meaning of the windy city of Chicago is. Yes, it actually refers to the politics in Chicago that they kind of blow every which way, um, which I don't think uh, in all the years that Chicago's been here, that really has changed. <laughs> I think it's as true today as 
was then. So, um, so that's where we got we originally got the nickname, um, and then I kind of took it on as my moniker because I hail from Chicago. Um, but I tend to like to think of of, of the Windy City uh, less politically and just more. Oh, isn't it just a beautiful place to live? <laughs> I'm going to go with that one, too, because that's just is how I always thought about it. And it just feels better. It just feels better. Right. OK, okay. Right. So, it feels better. so what how let's just you've been doing this. a lot. You did this for a long time. So you were drawn to kids and to helping. And I'd love for you to tell us about your story. And the other thing that I'm thinking about is like, at what point did you realize as a as a younger person that you actually have some skills to offer parents? who are older than you. Yeah, I, you know what? That's a funny way of putting it in that perspective, offering advice to, to folks that were older than I was. Uh, you know, as a young girl, I used to ask my mom to take me to the hospital to have my baby. And and what I meant by that was to please take me to the toy store so I could pick out a baby doll. And then I would come home and I would make birth certificates for all my baby dolls. So I was baby obsessed from a, a young age when I was probably a baby myself. And so I was not surprised um, when I was 11 and was offered the opportunity to be a mother's helper to jump at it. And I really started in my neighborhood, you know, just uh, shadowing different mommies and what they did in their household, how they ran their household and how they took care of their children. And then that was really a catalyst to me becoming a babysitter, like a lot of young girls did. Uh, And then I became a nanny after that. It was really just a very natural evolution. And uh, I nannied for everyone in my community and then I would go to college and I would nanny for my professor's children and then I'd come back to my original families in the summer and I just, it be, was, you know, just my life. It really was. And I adored every minute of it. I learned uh, probably the most important lessons of my life during that time. And uh, then when it was time for me to retire from being a nanny, uh, I always say I use the Mary Poppins phrase, I stay until the wind changes. And the wind changes for a lot of different reasons in a nanny's life. And um, that's when I decided to write my children's book um, after I was uh, done being a nanny to help children understand that transition of being cared for by your parents to being cared for by a nanny or a caretaker. And now I have this beautiful relationship with families on the other side of being a nanny, more of a consultant basis um, about how to make the trifecta work. Uh, The trifecta is my way of saying, how do you make the relationship successful between parents, children, and nanny or caretaker? Um, And so that's where I spend my time now. Um, And it's very joyful, uh, very fulfilling, um, and uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. The trifecta. I love that. Okay, we're going to dive deeper in the trifecta, but I, I also want to, before we move on, how did you, what approach did you come to use with parents so they would listen to you again, particularly when you weren't a parent yourself and were younger than them? Like how, how did you navigate that? Um, things are working with you and the child and you're trying to create some positive impact at home with the parent and the child. I think when I was younger, I wasn't really concerned about giving them my my wisdom. I was too young to have wisdom. I just had instincts then. (laughs) I just had love to give then um, and was curious to learn about taking care of children. So at a young age, I don't believe I was was distilling uh, anything down to advice necessarily. But as I got older and as I worked for more and more families and I experienced different, different, many different parenting styles, 
it definitely caused me to open up my eyes to those different strategies that parents used and what I saw that worked and didn't work. And what's funny about your question is you would think that parents would have been very thwarted by this, intimidated by someone who does not have children themselves sitting there in judgment, quote unquote. And I never did that. I never was judging a family. I I was there to help. You know, Mary Poppins, the original storyline was how Mary Poppins was there to help the father, to help the, you know, the parents mm-hmm, in that mm-hmm. situation. Um, so I kind of took that on myself from a young age that I was there to help the family as a whole, which then lends itself to the trifecta um, um, comment that I made. But what I think was really beautiful to me was people, parents rather, they were very open to asking my opinion because they wanted to know what other families were doing. They wanted to know what other parents were doing, what was working and not working, what I felt that I saw was working and not working. So it was never competitive. It was it was very much a conversation. And so I, I'm very lucky because I worked with families that were open-minded in that way. Um, but I never, ever approached them in a way of, hey, I know better. I know more. It was, let's just talk about what what we all see and what we're all hearing and what works for these kids specifically because it is a customized experience. Awesome. Okay. So with, and as you say, the customized experience in, in most of our, um, I find in our theories and conceptualizations, there is this overarching what works and then we tailor what works for the particular situation. So broadly speaking, what did you, and with your trifecta, like what did you find working with all of these families over the years and all of these kids, what did work? What did create healthy people and healthy relationships? What I have always been very in tune uh, with since I was young, um, you know, now it's kind of a trendy word, but it's this idea of empathy. And empathy, you know, people say that and they, they, they lead themselves to think, oh, it's all feelings and all those goosebumpy things and icky, icky, mushy, mushy. And, you know, that's not how I, I view empathy. I, I view empathy as really the cornerstone of how we develop as human beings. And I think that children are born with a great deal of empathy, but we need to guide them as they get older about how to tap into that and how to lead with that and how that helps them make decisions and how that helps them be a good friend and student and all those things. Um, so I, I believe that what I felt worked was the idea that I always approached my work with children and families and parents from this idea of empathy, really trying to feel and understand what they are going through, what their emotional need is, what they need from me to help make their their family, this trifecta work. And the only way you can do that, I personally believe, is by tapping into that emotional side of it. So speaking an emotional language to the children, speaking an emotional language to the parents, and seeing kind of that ripple effect, how then that started to permeate the family, how there was more transparent conversation, how people were connecting, how that family was connecting in a different way. And I don't want to say that I was the origin of that, but that certainly was my strategy regarding how I felt I could help a family and what I felt that would work kind of universally, what was the common common denominator. 
So to me, that was what really worked, was concentrating on the emotional health. Today, that's much more trendy, talking about emotional health. Mm-hmm. But for mm-hmm. me, that was always part of the conversation. Yeah, you were, you were definitely ahead of it. Um, in terms of, you know, there were some, there were some theories out there, um, about child centered play and development. Um, but clearly that was not the mainstream as it is now. And, and what we know now, particularly about all of the work with the brain based parenting as well as how critical it is for us to first help a child soothe and regulate when they're upset so they can actually get out of their, emotionally reactive brain which 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 what we always see is behavior right so a lot of times we're parenting through commenting on behavior and what you're talking about is like let's let's peel that back and see what the child is expressing and what the child needs right for for sort of a broader a broader look at the situation and the development of the child I love that you use that term, you know, the the brain parenting. Um, And I I think today we live in a world, Dr. Dan, that's so divided in a lot of different reasons. And I certainly am not going to get into politics because I don't want to do that at all. Touch that with a six-foot pole. Absolutely not. But I'm thinking about what, what different methods we all have about raising children today. And this idea that I think we live in a very polarizing world where it's it's the extremes of everything. It's either all this way or it's all the other way. And people have a really hard time living in that gray. And I actually think it's within that gray that you find the most progress, that you find the most balance. Um, and I, I wish that we could do that more as a society, especially when it comes to parenting. Um, because you see two things that happen. You know, you, you're raised a certain way and okay, you go ahead and you raise your kids that way too. Or if you're raised a certain way and you want to go completely the opposite way of that and you raise yep. them like an entirely different way. And so, you know, again, where's the gray? Where, where are we taking the things that we liked and using it and taking the things that we didn't like and losing it? I don't think that we do a very good job of that today. And it's, it's, and it's, it's really at the detriment to our, of our children that we're not paying more attention to the middle. Totally agree. And I, um, what you're hitting on is just so aligned with the idea of, of a parent footprint, which is to choose the footprint we're leaving on our children by having awareness about where we came from, what we care about, what we like, what we don't like, and then engaging in behavior that's consistent with what our beliefs are, but from a state of awareness. So as you pointed out, you know, a lot of people are parenting, we're all parenting from the way we were parented, whether it is exactly the same, exactly the opposite, or in many cases, it's often probably somewhere in between. Take what we like, change what we didn't. But with that, awareness is so key to knowing what we're doing and what we, well, well, what we want to do um, even before what we actually end up doing with our kids. And that awareness that you're speaking of is so important. I mean, awareness for everybody and, you know, everyone should have a general sense of awareness of themselves, but this idea of actually, you know, peeling back the onion and where is, what awareness are we talking about? Awareness emotionally, awareness mentally, awareness, Mm -hmm. you know, spiritually, physically, all of those different things. And so, you know, you have to do the work. I always say to, to families when they're hiring nannies or they're doing any sort of interview process with a caretaker, I say to them first, know thyself. 
You have to know what the values are of your home, what your values are. Until you know that, you cannot go out and hire someone to be an extension of those values. You have to do that work first in the home. So you're hitting exactly on what what my value caretaker. Yes, yes, yes. I'm agreeing with all of those awarenesses of mind, body, spirit, all of them. Okay, so tell us a little more about the trifecta because I, 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 all of a sudden I had this visual. Um, I'm very visual, and I had this visual um, schema in my head when you said that. So I think it could be helpful for people to think about this. So what what is the healthy trifecta? So I always talk about the trifecta because I feel like, just like you said, it's visual. It's very visual for people. And I was definitely, I was a visual learner. I still am. I mean, you could never put even a math equation in front of me. There was no chance I was getting, I was going <laughs> to, there was going to be any success with a math equation in front of me. But if you put a picture in front of me, I could understand it. So the trifecta for me is, is that idea of parents, the children, and the caretaker. And I always picture the parents there at the top of that point, and then the children to the right, and the, and the nanny and the caretaker to the left. And, but in order for that trifecta to work, for all of those things to connect, everyone has to be connected, and they have to be speaking a language that everyone can understand. They have to be transparent. They have to communicate. And so that's where it starts. In order to make a relationship work with a nanny or a caretaker, you have to acknowledge the fact that this is going to be a working relationship. Just like any relationship in your life, friendship, spouse, whatever it is, it takes work. And you are trusting somebody with your most precious possessions in your life, your children. Now, this nanny doesn't necessarily need to be a stranger. This nanny, especially today, can certainly be a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a neighbor or somebody you know, but it doesn't change the facts, no matter if they're a stranger or someone you know, that they need to be aligned with your values as a family. So that's where going back to this idea of knowing thyself. I'm asking that you, the parents, know your know thyself, but I'm also asking that you, the nanny or the caretaker, know thyself too. You can't go work for a family until you know what your values are and whether or not you're going to be able to align with that family. Now, there's a lot of different shades of this. You could hire a nanny possibly that doesn't have all your same values, but the values that they do have are things you want to expose your children to. So that's a positive. That's a perk of someone that maybe doesn't necessarily align, but compliments. When I talk about making sure those values are aligned, again, it's, it's this idea that you're all going to be on the same page regarding the upbringing of these children because you are all role models for these children. But just like any role model, there are different shades of that, different versions of that. So allow for your children to be exposed to more than one role model in their life, to more than one person that's going to love them. They'll be better off for it. But it's that trifecta that makes that possible. That makes sense. And I like the idea of exposing, well, first of all, a few things. Exposing kids to multiple caretakers um, gives them more life experience. Um, so important with the communication and the transparency, ideally, and the values, right? Knowing what your values are, knowing what your caretaker's values are. And they, like you said, they don't have to be perfect, but they need to overlap enough that they do not give mixed messages to the child, um, or of course, are in opposition to what the parents, uh, how the parents feel. Exactly, exactly. I mean, because, you know, 
you have to remember that the nanny and the parent relationship, they have to be in constant communication. They have to be a unified front uh, regarding, you know, what's going on in that home. Now, okay, maybe the kids get a little bit more junk food like they did with me when I was a nanny than they did with their parents, but that's okay. Those are little things. But, you know, taking your the child to a mass or a religious service that uh, is not part of their value system. Well, that's going to be a problem mm-hmm. if you're going to be in part, you know, imposing your own values in that way on children that are not your children, or vice versa. The parents are asking the nanny to go to a service that they don't agree with. So, you know, you just have to be careful about making sure that you're on the same page. So we are. Recording this in the midst of um, most of us in the country being on a shelter in place. And so we want to talk about your, you have a lot of tips for us that are applicable to the situation that we are finding ourselves in, um, as well as they're also best practices for when we get back to our regular life or our semi-regular life. These are the same issues that we contend with. We're just more in an intensified way. And and the first thing I want to ask you about is the idea of screens and electronic devices, which are sustaining us right now. And um, there is definitely a pull for people to be on them more than even usual. But you have some ideas about how to ditch these electronic devices in favor of some old school activities that are good for kids. Yeah, I always like to say that I'm um, old soul meets new school. Um, (laughs) And so I kind of try to combine those things together. But, you know, we are living in a weird world today. um, And and technology is our lifeline. So I am not going to sit here and tell parents to to de-plug or unplug or anything like that right now because it's the way kids are learning. They're e-learning. They're connecting with family and friends. So screen time is, is a big part of the conversation, a big part of the survival skills right now. But once we do go back to some semi-normal way of life, I do anticipate there's going to be a lot of kicking and screaming about the fact that the screen time is going to go away. Um, And uh, in, in, in order to anticipate that, um, we, I, I, we, my, I guess all my personalities, I guess, Dr. Dan, I don't know. Who knows? I personally think that um, it's very simple. You'll, you'll know, you know, from my Windy City Nanny advice, I always aim for simple. I don't like to overcomplicate things that don't need to be complicated. So this idea of unplugging, it's beneficial for lots of reasons. It, it, it lends itself to more quality time with your children. Though on the other side of this, you may be ready to push those kids out the door. So we'll see how much quality time you need with them. But what I want to focus on is the imagination side of this. The creativity that comes from unplugging uh, and and being able to use those imaginative skills in a really successful way that sets the children up in the future to be able to continue to tap into that imaginative play. I don't think we as adults do a very good job of imagining anymore um, because we are so focused in on the logistics. And But the people that you see out there, all these entrepreneurs, all of these innovators, even the people you see during this climate right now, making all those COVID tests or finding different ways to innovate technology so they can help humanity right now, those people are thinking outside the box. 
those people are using their imaginations. Imagination is something kids are born with, but they need to be encouraged to use it and to cultivate it. So unplugging from technology is the best way for them to learn to do that imaginative play. So if you can go outside, which I totally hope that a lot of people can, and, and, mm-hmm. and during the next you know few weeks or months, you could do a neighborhood treasure hunt. If the kids are able to be together, even if they have masks on, a neighbor neighborhood treasure hunt is a great thing to do. It gets the kids involved, gets them out. You can throw an outdoor picnic or tea party. You could even scout the neighborhood for the best trees to climb. Is that the oldest school thing you've ever heard in your life? Climbing old a school. tree. Old I mean, school. don't fly. Try- it's old school. You can create an obstacle course. You know, if you don't want to take things outside, indoors, you can put on a puppet show. I used to put on plays when I was younger with my next door neighbors. We'd write full screen, like plays, both plays, and we'd put them on. I mean, it was hours. These poor parents would sit for hours and watch us perform like our version of, you know, Wizard of Oz or whatever it was. And mm-hmm. we had so much fun. And you could puzzles or, you know, you can challenge each other in different and different crafting things or different, um, uh, even, I mean, unplugging from technology, there are a lot of educational technology apps out there that you can play with partners and that, that can actually help your imagination as well. You play dress up, you can have a scavenger hunt for random items throughout the house. You can bake. Um, that's a great way for children to learn math skills. So there's tons of things that you can do that do not include technology that are very simple. And one of my favorite things I did when I was a child that I did with my nanny kids was we created this this world called Chalk Town. We would go outside and we would draw all over the driveways uh, these these towns these very elaborate towns i owned of course most of the most of the shops i had jewelry of course, shops and, of course. and toy stores right, all of it and we would then we would set up like our bikes so it looked like a little road and stop signs and stoplights it was hours and hours and hours of fun and then the rain came washed it all away and then we had to rebuild the town so i mean it was it was the best thing ever and my nanny kids loved it when we did it when we were younger and it was so imaginative it was it was, it was working on their motor skills i mean there were so many perks to doing something like that. So remember to keep it simple. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be, you know, the the most grand idea in the world. And I also want parents to remember something. Children do not need to be entertained every second of the day. They need to learn independent play. And it's not your job to entertain them constantly. You have to give them the opportunity to learn to entertain themselves, just like you were talking about self-soothing. Kids need to learn to mm-hmm. do that too. So you to yourself, parents, about, you know, during, especially during this time where you think you need to be entertaining them every minute. I'm really glad to hear you say that. And that brings up a question for me because there was, it seemed, so in my experience um, with my own kids, with my all my clients over the years and with the parents that I work with, it seems to me that the idea, uh, so being bored is a, you know, that's a, that's a thing that we've all, everyone has to reckon with. And there's that saying, if you're, if you're bored, you're boring, you know, like figure it out. Uh, Here's the question I have for you because you were a nanny pre and post the electronic screen age is it seems like the boredom for kids these days post screen is, is a more excruciating visceral experience than perhaps in the past when they didn't have that, that dopamine feed and attraction to a screen that kids these days have that we did not. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I think that the more technology you have, the more technology obsessed you become. I mean, look at us as, as adults. <laughs> we tell our children to unplug and disconnect and we can't even do it as adults. How are we supposed to tell them to do it when we're totally addicted to technology and our phones and all of that? So right. I, I do believe you know, that we, we have to lead by example as much as we can, but the the obsessions that we have in this day and age versus what children had when they were younger and versus the kids that I was taking care of where, you know, they didn't have the technology distraction. You know, we, we did have to be more creative. They did have to learn to play on their own or figure out how to entertain themselves and things like that. And I, I'm not saying the children today are worse off because they, they're not doing that. But I do think we have to show them the other side of the coin. Children aren't just going to know that now because they're born, they're raised in this world where this is all at their fingertips. So it's your job as the parent or caretaker to make sure they're exposed to different ways of learning and entertainment and fun and all of those things. It, it doesn't just happen naturally anymore now. We need mm-hmm. to encourage it. And and you have found over the years and will continue to contend old school playtime works it's kids still have fun we just have to create the space to allow for them to investigate this imagination and creativity so they develop that aspect of themselves as well absolutely beautifully said we, we have to give them that arena to be able to do that um, and it doesn't mean you have to sit down and play with them the whole time but you have to set up the world for them Set up the world for them to 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 build it. You know that's that's what you're doing, and um, if you do, your children are going to be better off. You know, and this is also reminding me of a, a previous podcast we had with a social uh, with a media a screen um, expert who was talking about how how much it is on us parents to think about how we are training our kids in the sense like when we would go ourselves to restaurants or with our kids before technology and you know we would they'd color on a placemat they would we would play a game we'd you know look at this thing on the wall in the restaurant let's go for a walk while the food's coming and and then nowadays it's so easy to give a phone or an iPad right so it's like we we don't always realize we're inadvertently training something away that we don't necessarily want to be doing Exactly. I, you know, and I, I'd also like to mention that I think that technology, it, it, it's, I'll never condemn it because I think it's, it's fantastic. And I think there are so many ways to learn via technology, but it's just the idea that I'd like to go back to balance. It's, it, you know, it's just balance. It's about moderation, everything in moderation. That old adage is actually very, very true and, and continues to be true, but we have a really hard time, a really hard time exploring that and accepting that. Because like I said, we live in a very um, polar world um, where it has to be all or nothing. Uh, so, you know, I, I, what I want parents to take away from this is not the idea that you can't utilize technology and that technology isn't a great escape for all of us and children included. It's just the idea that you have to remember things that worked for you growing up that would also be fun for your children and also opening your eyes to how technology can help you educate your children today and and create um, a beautiful playground for children today in different ways. You know, make it a positive thing. You know, mm-hmm. technology can be used in a 
positive way. Um, but it's about the 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 consistent uh, discipline you as a parent have regarding the rules that are in place regarding technology. And you kind of have to do that. You have to think about what the rules are attached to the technology. And a, um, a nice segue or related um, concept to this is what do we do when kids are disrespectful um, and reactive or inappropriate? And, and the reason I'm saying this is a segue is most of us know that having a child get off of technology can be one of those triggers for a variety of reasons. But so just in general, what is your experience and what do you what approaches do you use and suggest when kids and teens are being disrespectful? It's hard um, because disrespect, I think, comes from a lot of different places, uh, depending on what the child may emotionally be going through. Um, but I also am old school when it comes to I don't put up with it. I, I don't think anyone should be putting up with it. And I also think that today's world, we live in uh, an, an interesting time because we have given children the idea that they are equal to adults. And I, I've noticed this over the past few years, and I don't like it at all. Um, I feel that children have lost this degree of respect for adults that I was raised with. Everyone was Mr. and Mrs. You know, you never backtalked anyone, that sort of thing. And children today seem to think that they don't need to have that sort of respect for someone who is their superior. And so it, whether or not it is the, the, a friend of your child who is acting disrespectfully in your house, I believe you address that. I believe there are rules of your home that these children have to operate under. And if they are not, then they are going to be called out on their behavior. And maybe that's going to get you in trouble with their parents. Well, so be it. Because I think you should be able to go to that parent and say, hey, this is what they did. And that's not tolerated here. So um, that's kind of an overarching uh, feeling that I have about all of it. But I also want to talk about the idea of the effective communication uh, during this with disrespectful children. You want them to be able to express how they feel to you, and you want to be able to express how you feel, but you don't want to take it to this explosive level. So if you can think before you act, if you can think about what you're going to say in response to the, the child and try to change that energy, try to change that mood, get them down to a place where they can have a conversation with you, I think they need to see that. They need to see that in order that you don't need to shout or yell in order to make your point. You don't need to call someone names to make your point. You have to teach them a constructive language for expressing how they feel. But it starts with you. They're going to watch how you react to people, how you react to watching the news, how you talk on the phone to your friends, how you talk to your spouse. They're going to absorb that. And then you wonder why you see them acting out in certain ways. Well, you have to look at the environment sometimes. What are they learning about stress and managing stress? And that's where this effective communication really needs to come in. Oh, awesome. You just covered so many things there. So first of all, I heard the audience cheering. Um, I, could hear, I could feel it, feel them cheering when you're talking about the need for um, 
there to be some sort of hierarchy and there need to be some sort of respect. And there's been seemingly a, a loosening of the boundaries over the years culturally um, and where kids aren't always really held to the same level of um, needing to have respect and, and how you draw the line um, and basically, in a sense, you know, expect respect. What I will also say is just as I can tell about how you are is we know that a lot of kids don't respect people they don't respect, right? So we know that we adults have to act in respectful ways. And like you said, lead by example to earn the respect as opposed to just demand it when we're not being respectful towards kids. Would you agree with that? A thousand percent. I, I, I think we get into a very uh, deep, dark hole when we start telling children that they need to respect everyone when they are not respected or they feel that they are not um, heard or, or, or feel secure, feel safe. Um, you know, it, gosh, it's so hard raising kids, right? It's so hard because you're trying to think, you know, 20 steps ahead about how this is going to affect them. And I think this idea of you know, drilling down every single point and overthinking every single point that gets parents into trouble. But I, I'd like to put it through this lens. You know, it's simple, like what you're saying. You have to teach respect. You have to teach them to respect people and to be respected. Now you peel back that onion. What does it mean to be have self-respect? And how do you talk about that to your children based on their age, based on their level of comprehension? Uh, and then how do you teach them through example what respect looks like or what kindness looks like or what compassion looks like? All of these things. But the common denominator is that it's a visual learning experience, which I think you and I both would love, that you have to see it. You see it to believe it. You see it in order to be able to use it in your life. So this idea of being a role model, you know, they are watching, they're absorbing all of this. So, you know, paying attention to what you are doing and how you respect people and how you make people feel special, how you honor people, kids are going to take that in. So I can't stress it more that in order to teach respect, you have to show it to them first. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're so spot on. Um, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the different ways we can go here. And what, I, what, I, what I'm thinking about is if we bring it now, you're giving us so many good ideas for just best practices for regular life. How, what, do you, what advice do you also have for people in this time, which is more pressured, you know, less, less space, everyone's together all the time. Uh, we're not certain exactly when we're going to get out in what format to go back to our semi-normal. What, would you, what, are, what advice are you giving to parents and, and caretakers? <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, um, survive. <laughs> survive mm -hmm. is 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 my is my advice right now. Um, you you really do have to be patient. You have to be kind to yourself. You have to let a lot go. Um, you know, I it's so the the hardest thing I think for parents right now is this e learning, and we don't know how long the e learning is going to go on. Mm -hmm. But I, I want to stress to parents: teachers are going to get them back on track. Every child is in the same boat. Every child is in the same boat right now. So if you can't get it all done, things are going to have to fall to the wayside and you just have to be okay with that. Because you know what? To me, the most important thing right now is the mental health of you, the parents, and the children. That is what's going to get you through right now is being mentally healthy. And maybe that's more giggles 
than math homework. Maybe that's more bonding, more emotional conversation than, you know, learning those 10 vocabulary words. I am not saying that homework is not important and school is not important. Absolutely not. Of course it is. We want to keep our kids moving forward as much as they can. But the work that's being done in that house right now, that's the most important work to me regarding the entirety of you, the parent, the entirety of the child. So keep that emotional and mental health intact and everything else can be an extension of that. But if you are not emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, then everything else is going to combust too. So mm-hmm. start from that. Mm-hmm. That's like the origin for now. And that's my advice to you parents right now is focus on that. Focus on the love and security of that house right now and getting through it versus the logistics. It's so good to hear you say that. And it's validating for what um, I've been talking about with my clients, even as of yesterday. You know, these kids are there. A lot of them are disengaged because the format is not meaningful and different schools and different teachers are doing it differently. Some are really staying connected to their students. Some are are not. No, no fault of the students, but just whatever the format is. And and this is temporary. And so I completely agree with you that we, number one is emotional health of the family. And we don't need increased meltdowns over schoolwork or more negative feelings about schoolwork. It's like, yes, we do need some, you know, to have some rhythm, some routine, have expectations, but for the guiding principle to be, how are you doing as parents? What do you need? And how are your kids doing? You know, it gets back what you were saying to empathy. Right, like what is what is a child going through right now that might be producing some of the behavior which is making things a little more difficult? And that's a great point. This idea of what is the child feeling? You know, I always talk about one of my three prongs with with uh, with Windy City Nanny is I always talk about building your village, letting love in, and asking for help. Those are the three things that I think we need to work on um, together. You know, in, in kind of my work with parents and families and nannies. But what I want to mention about the village aspect is, you know, we talk about parents needing their village. And right now their their village has been ripped away from them in a physical way. But maybe they're still, you know, you're still talking to your friends on the phone. You're still Zooming. You're still doing all of these things. Maybe they're not there to help you, though. But think about children. Children have a village, too. Village, they were ripped away from their village when school mm-hmm. closed. Their mm-hmm. friends aren't there to play with them. So I think we need to be very, very cognizant and and compassionate with our children about the fact that they are handling emotional things that is a first for them, um, and they don't necessarily know how to express it. They just have feelings. They don't know why they feel them, but they feel them. They're anxious. They're this or that. So this idea of empathy, of understanding the origin of your child's feelings is so important right now. And knowing that there is an emotional toll being taken to children are taking right now. Um, So, you know, I know parents are thinking about what their emotional toll is, but remember that kids are not exempt from that either. And we need to make sure that we're, we're, we're having a conversation with our kids about how they're feeling more than we ever have right now. Exactly. Okay. Lawrence Ann, it is. We are ready for the parent footprint moment question. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. 
So since um, I I don't have children of my own, but have many, 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 many kids out there that I still stay yes, in touch you with. Do. All, all yes, you do. Yes, you do. I will bring you back to a time when I was a young nanny. And um, a little girl that I nannied for had parents that were very, very tough on her academically, very, very tough. And one night she left the, the, the table after dinner and went upstairs and something was wrong. She was gone a little bit too long. And so I went up there and knocked on the door and um, I heard her throwing up and she let me come in and I sat down on the floor next to her and she just opened up just a waterfall of emotions. I can't do this. It's too hard. Oh, I can't, it's too much pressure. I can't. And I just watched her crumble, you know, and we laid there on the bathroom floor and she opened up to me about how she was feeling. And later that night when her parents got home, I went home, didn't say anything to them, but I knew I needed to approach the parents. I knew I needed to confront them, but not aggressively, not in a judgmental way, not in an aggressive way, but I needed to help fix this problem because I couldn't watch her suffer like this anymore. So the next day I sat down with the parents and we had a very constructive conversation where I told them what I witnessed and that I wanted to work with them to try to find a way to make it easier on her. They thanked me for bringing it to their attention because oftentimes nannies and caretakers see things that parents don't. We have a window into their world that sometimes they don't. And I kept the trust of the child that um, I wasn't going to go and paddle on her necessarily to her parents and kept the trust of the parents um, saying that we need to work on this together, but not embarrass her, make her feel ashamed about opening up to me because I need to have that trust with her, but we need to work together to fix it. And we did. Uh, we did fix it. And it did get better. And years and years later, this little girl saw me at a wedding. Uh, and she ran across the dance floor to me and hugged me. And she pulled back with tears in her eyes and said, you are still the voice in my head all these years later. Mm. And I cried as I'm crying now. Mm. And um, I realized that in that moment back then, I had gained a lot of confidence as a nanny that I could go and have conversations with parents that were hard and that were emotional. Um, and I could do it in a way that was respectful. And it changed how I dealt with parents going forward as a nanny. Uh, and it probably will change how I will be as a mother one day. Um, it changes, changed how I am as an aunt to all of my friends' children regarding how I listen to children and how I gain their trust and keep the trust of the parent. And again, make that trifecta, whatever that mm -hmm. trifecta is, work. I'm part of a lot of trifectas in my life. I bet you are. <laughs> well, I do, I'm blessed for that, you know, but my goal is always to make sure it's, um, I'm doing my job to make sure everything's connecting and everything is, is working well. So that, that was a turning point for me, for that, sure. That is, thank you for sharing. That is such a great story. And, and I could just see your, your underpinnings of transparency and communication, um, in the trifecta, I mean, there, there it was right there um, at play and what a long lasting impact it has had on that child, now adult's health, like mental health. So, 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 so important. Thank you. Thank you. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Florence Ann. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. You have tons of wisdom. Um, tell everyone where they can learn about your work, your book, and um, more of your um, philosophy and skills. 
or I windycitynanny.com is my website. You can purchase my book there or any other major bookstore. And then I'm very, very active on social, whether Instagram or Facebook, it's Windy City Nanny. I answer every single person. DM me. Um, also with my um, uh, my Instagram, I, I really participate um, in a lot of social media philanthropy. Um, I believe it's the best way for me to be there for you during these times and on the other side of it, uh, being able to give items to you and your family that are going to help you through this. Um, and so don't hesitate to reach out to me um, if there is anything that you need. Um, and um, I just want to be able to be there for you in, in whatever way I can be to help you and your family be as successful as you can be. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the conversation today. Um, I know you have um, you've given us a lot to think about, and I will be thinking about what you've said all day today and into my evening with my own. That concludes our show, everyone. Thanks for listening. Check us out at www.parentfootprint.com. Tell everyone about the show. Subscribe. Help us with our mission to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. Be the person you want your child to become. And as always, ask yourself this guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave?